How would Brady have fared with your offensive line? (laughs) (laughs) You don't want me to answer that, dude. (laughs) Hey, guys, the Tops Off World Tour is coming to an end in 2024. And then, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, I will be taking a long break from touring, but not before Casper, Wyoming, Loveland, Colorado, Colorado Springs, Rio Rancho, New Mexico. And then me and Tom, February 10th, are in Las Vegas for the big game at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. The following week, Bakersfield, Reno, San Francisco, Stockton. I will see you guys on the road. Tops off world tour. Enjoy the podcast. I cannot tell you. Can I, is it okay if I call you Doug? That, that's my name. I know, but you're Mr. Williams to <laughs> no, me. No, Doug is great. <laughs> uh, uh, I cannot tell you what an absolute dream come true this is. Well, it's, it's my pleasure to be on with you, I promise you. I, uh, I've i said this a number of times. You, uh, when I was six years old, the Buck, uh, the you came to Tampa, and I am a huge Bucks fan, and you were a huge role model for me. And my dad, I learned so much about life by watching your experience in Tampa. Uh, I, my heroes were you, Jimmy Giles, Ricky Bell, <laughs> James Wilder, uh, uh, Batman Woods, Leroy Selman, Dewey Selman, wow, Kevin knew, House. You knew the team. <laughs> I knew everyone. I knew, I call Isaac, I called Isaac, uh, what's his name? Ike. <laughs> hey, Ike Hagen. Ike Hagen, yeah. Ike Hagen, yeah. Right, right. And so uh, I was such... And, and I wanted to be a quarterback. I, that was, you know, obviously that's the position everyone wants to be. And my dad, when watching those games, and I and I just talked to my dad a couple of minutes ago, and he said, I was telling him all the games I remember, and I said, I don't know which ones we saw on TV or we didn't. And he said, buddy, they were all blacked out. They were, they were back then. He goes, if you saw a game, you, <laughs> we were at, at the game. You were at the game. <laughs> I said, so I saw him throw that from his butt on the Lions, and he goes, we watched that. He goes, we watched his first win in Tampa Bay. They stormed the field and tore down the goalposts. <laughs> I remember the game against Kansas City oh, when it rain. was raining so oh, hard. God, it was yes. coming down the stairs, and I, all of a sudden, all these memories are very visceral for me. But my dad would come. I remember you threw a, a pass into the end zone to Jimmy Giles. And my dad said, leaned over, and he said, buddy, it's not it's what you got to love about Doug Williams is it's not he has a rifle for an arm, but it's his touch. And as a kid, whenever I would throw something soft, he goes, you got Doug's touch, buddy. <laughs> you got Doug's touch. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Giles was my guy. My dad would, if I didn't go to church, my dad would go, uh, that's so crazy. Jimmy Giles was at church today. And I was like, wait, for real? And he was wait, like. Wait, the Catholic church? Yeah. You know, I live down the street from there. Really? Oh, Clinton Drive. Yeah, 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 right yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Jim, when Jimmy came to church on Sunday, I knew he was there. I live right down the street from him. It's, a, it's so crazy. I want to talk about the Bucs. I want to talk about the Redskins. I want to talk about everything. But okay. but uh, I, want to start, I want to start by first talking about a little bit for frame of reference for everyone to, just to know about your childhood. Because your childhood... I heard Shannon Sharp say he didn't have running water till he was 10 the other day. I was 14. <laughs> you know, the, the crazy thing about that was the fact that, you know, I'm not the oldest in my family. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm the sixth youngest. Really? I got two younger brothers. So I had I had five in front of me that was older than I was. So if I was 14 before I got running water, I got a brother that's 15 years older than me. Just imagine oh my. how long he did not have running water. But the whole neighborhood was kind of in the same boat pretty much. You know, everybody had a, a draw well in the backyard. And I grew up, 
you know, until I was 14, you know, when we first got running water, man, I, I think I flushed it 15 times just to see how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have a taste for well water? You know what? That's the best water running. My wife grew up on well water. My wife. I'm telling you, it's cold. I mean, when cold. you can get that water, man, that's fresh water. Now, what, how do you feel about hot showers and cold showers? Well, you know, when I was, grew up, we had a number three tub. I don't know if you know what that is. That's a big old round tub. Uh -huh. So we had to draw the water. We had to heat the water. And we had to pour it in the tub. So it wasn't like there was a lot of water in the tub. It was enough water to wash yourself off and over. Yeah. And, and, you know, think about it. You couldn't throw it out because your little brother had to take a bath in the okay. same water. The first time my wife said, we share water, I went, no, we do not. Oh, no, no, that happens. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> hey, they was in line. When I got out, they got in. <laughs> that is the honest God truth. Right. That's great. Zachary, Louisiana? Zachary, Louisiana. That, where in, that, in reference on a map, where's Zachary? Is that near north? Baton Rouge. It's, it's, it's about 20 minutes north of Baton Rouge. The two most famous people that ever been to Zachary, Louisiana is myself and um, Ellie Mae. Really? From the Beverly Hills building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's from that area, too. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but no, Zachary is a small, where well, it was a small town. Now, it's, since Hurricane Katrina, it's grown a lot because a lot of people moved up there. Yeah. And um, Zachary uh, broke away from the East Baton Rouge school system. And from their own school system. So they got one of the best school systems in, in the state now. Did you have any Creole ties? No. We, we no. was a little higher than them. They were oh, down yeah. there at I-10 corner, you know, down that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's where they were. We was up, up a little higher. <laughs> oh, wow. And you didn't start playing football. You were a baseball guy, right? I was baseball. My, my oldest brother, man, was was my idol, my mentor. Uh, he played baseball at Gramlin State University. His his record is still standing. He was 35-1 and one as a pitcher. And he went to the Cleveland Indians, but he hurt his his hurt his rotator cuff. Yeah, and you know back then in 1964, you heard it was over with. Yeah, and and he came back and he was my first coach uh, as a football player when I was eighth grade. And he's but, the one that made you become quarter. Told you you should be a quarterback. Well, he gave me an ultimatum. You know, I didn't want to play. I didn't want to play football. Football was really? the furthest thing from my heart. Really? Yeah, I, I'm a baseball and basketball. You remember Pete Maramich? Of course. He was at LSU during that time when I was oh. like eighth grade. Well, I thought I was pistol. You know, I wore floppy socks and everything. <laughs> I, I wanted to be pistol Pete. I didn't want to no part of football. It wasn't gonna hit me. So um, he 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 started the eighth grade football team, and he came to me. He said, "Hey, man, you gonna play?" Um, quarterback for my team. I said, what team? He said, for the football. I said, no, nah, I'm not playing no quarterback. <laughs> so he said, I'll tell, he said, I'll tell you what, i give you an ultimatum. He said, uh, you either whip me or you play football. I ain't up playing football. <laughs> 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 and that's the best decision I made. <laughs> that's crazy. That's wild. The uh, I was a big baseball guy too. Uh, but it was just, I got hurt in ninth grade. And I, I was second I got hurt once, I was like, that's not yeah. that's not where I want that's to be. That's why I didn't want no part of football. I thought football, man, you you can't survive in football, but you know, I found out it's a it's a way to do it. Do you have I know that I mean, I don't I really don't want to talk about race much at all in this podcast. I'm I'm sure that you get that's that. up to you. I'm I'm here for you. No, but but I know that I've heard that time in Louisiana was rough. Do you have fond memories of your childhood? Oh, I got a lot of fun memories. Yeah. You know, growing up. I lived in, a, in an area on Plank Road. The name is, it was Highway 67, but it was, they called it Plank Road. And it ran from Baton Rouge all the way up into Mississippi. Yeah. Straight down there. And, um, you know, 
during that time, that was a section that I lived in uh, about a mile long was Pride Port Hudson Road and Lemon Road. And in that section, all all minorities, blacks, all everybody lived right in that this pack. You know, everybody yeah. lived, everybody knew everybody in the neighborhood. Every, that's the everybody knew everybody. that's that's when you're talking about it take a village to raise a kid. Yeah. That's what happened during that time. But every Friday night during uh during that time, the Ku Klux Klans used to burn a cross at each crossroad. You didn't know when they was coming or what have you. It might be three o'clock in the morning, might be ten o'clock at night. You didn't know. But it was going to be a cross burn right in there. And and I think all the men in that area, you know, used to get together because they didn't know when they was coming. So they couldn't just set up and wait for them. Yeah. You know, but when they see it burning, you know, they called, hit on doors, and they'd just try to find somebody up there. They couldn't catch them up there. But it was one of those situations that everybody believed that it was a more of a scare tactic than it was anything, mm-hmm. you know. But that was during the time when the civil rights era and all that was going on. It was in the, it was in early 70s, 60s, right? Yes, early 60s, 70s. And, you know, we wasn't allowed on the streets at night. You know, my mom said, y'all got to come on home. You can't you can't walk the street. It was two-lane highway with a little shoulder on the side. And uh, we, we didn't play around out there, you know. Really? Ole Miss, when Ole Miss played LSU, when they came down, you know, they come down, all the rebel flags was flying, so you had to get off that road. One day, my grandmother, who lives probably a quarter of a mile away from us during that time, and uh, I went to the store for her. And I was on my way back up the, up the road to to give her the groceries and stuff. And um, coming back, I was met with a with a milkshake. Hit me smack in the face. I'm just glad it was chocolate because it tastes pretty good. <laughs> You know, but it's that, that's one of those things that you got to be, it could have been a baller, could have been a beer king, yeah. and, and it did not happen, you know. But but that's why my mom and dad uh, always told us to be careful. Yeah, I I, have, I, I grew up in two, two neighborhoods in Florida that were uh, one of those where everyone knew everyone. Everyone, yeah. And then when we moved to L.A., we lived in a building where no one knew each, anyone, and my wife didn't want that. And so we moved to a neighborhood where everyone knew everyone. That's tough. You know, the thing about my mom and dad, when they went to work, uh, Mr. Mr. Johnny, Mr. Miss Annette, Miss Roach, and Miss Mary, Mr. Johnny, Miss Cindy, and everybody, we were surrounded. And if we did anything, my mom and dad got the report when they got home. And yeah. the thing about it, they all had permission to uh, whoop our behind if they wanted to. If it was bad enough, yeah. we caught a whooping. And the worst thing about that, we was going to get another one when, when your parents get home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my wife spanked my daughter. I've never spanked my daughters. <laughs> hey, look, I know what I just like. You know, you got kids, you don't want to whip them, but you got enough for them. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so where was your first choice to go to college? Because I know your mom said you were going to Grambling. Well, you know what? Southern University. Yeah. Because it was close to home. See, I, my, my home in Zachary at night is probably 20 minutes from Southern University. And my thing was, I wanted my mom and dad and my family to see me play. Yeah. But everybody that had went to the high school, Cheneyville High School, where I went to school, went to Gramlin. All my cousins, the Dyers, the Shanklins, uh, the Bennetts, my oldest brother, all of them had went to Gramlin. Yeah. You know, so... It came about Tennessee State was was recruiting me, Jackson State, Mississippi Valley, Tennessee, and, and Southern University in Gremlin. And that was a guy who did all the recruiting for Coach Robinson. I, I want to talk about Yeah, Coach his Robinson. name was Adolph Bird. At that time, alumni could recruit for you. Yeah. And he had played for Coach Rob. So Coach Rob had never seen me play, but Adolph Bird had saw me play three or four times. Yeah. 
And uh, he was recruiting me. And uh, Coach Rob, late one night, uh, called my mom. You know, we got a, we had a party line. We had 13 people on the party. So, you know, chances you get in the phone with Slim and none. Wait, wait, explain to people listening. Because, you, you know, my daughters don't know how to work a telephone. So, like, they, one time they were at a hotel, and my mom called, and they answered. And then they gave it to me, and they go, it's done. Can you turn it off? And I said, you just hang it up. And they said, well, how do you do that? And I would say, you just like that. Yeah. And like, okay. So well, what What was the party line? Because I know party, what it is. Back then, that was that old dial. Of, you know, it had no punch, push button. <laughs> well, anyway, on that line, you had other families who had a phone with on that same line. And if you pick the phone up, somebody was talking, you say, let me use the phone or what have you, and they might curse you out, do whatever, and you hang the phone up. But as a kid, if I was on the phone or my brother's sister's on the phone, anybody in the neighborhood who was older than us, they say, is this Robert's boy? Let me use this phone, boy. You hang that phone up. Because <laughs> yeah. you had to. But everybody could listen in on your call because they can take that phone and screw that, that, that one you speak into. Yeah. You can't hear them. They can put it right to their ear. They hear whatever conversation you got. But late one night, uh, Coach Robinson, got a, I guess he got through, and my mom answered the phone. And him and my mom had a conversation, and I was I was in the bed. And my mom came, and she woke me up, and, and she said, hey, uh, um, I just got through talking to Coach Robinson. I said, okay. She said, you going to Gremlin? I said, going to Gremlin? She said, yeah. <laughs> I said, why do you say that? Because he said, you're going to graduate, you're going to go to church, and you're going to get your degree. And that was, that was it. That was it? That was it. It was case closed. Well, well I— I want to know about Grambling in the '70s because I, I've been I've become obsessed with HBCU. HBCU is more more importantly, I think Dion did such a great yeah. way of of putting a light on them. But but HBCU cheerleaders are the best cheerleaders in the entire <laughs> you world. You had to see the dancers in the band too. The well, <laughs> I became obsessed. It's all my Instagram feed is is HBCU cheerleaders. They've just I, I've a lot of HBCUs have hit me up because I'm so into their cheerleading squads. But what was H what was what was the HBCU experience like in the 70s? What was Grambling like? This show is sponsored by DraftKings. Looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58? DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. New customers can bet on the big game and turn five bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code BIRDCAST. New customers can bet five bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 58 with code BIRDCAST. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsibility. Gaming resources. I think I speak for most men when I say we want to have better sex. And for the sake of our partners, we may need to have better sex. The issue is that over-the-counter erection pills contain unregulated chemicals, suggested unsafe doses, and include the risk of several other health problems. That's why we've partnered with our friends over at Joy Mode. 
Whether you're looking to spice up your intimate moments or increase your confidence in the bedroom, Joy Mode makes all-natural, all-science-backed supplements dedicated to helping men perform better across their core functions. Their trademark product, the Sexual Performance Booster, is every man's solution for increased blood flow, firmness, stamina, and performance like it's a pre-workout but for sex. I've heard this from so many people, so many of my friends, and I'm not saying just 50-year-old dudes. I know two 33-year-old dudes who will not perform without a little extra something. It's the same thing as going to the gym and taking a little supplement before you work out. Look, here's the deal. If you're like me and you want to perform better in the bedroom, go to usejoymode.com slash birdcast and get 20% off with code birdcast at checkout. That's 20% off and Free shipping with code BIRDCAST at usejoymode.com slash BIRDCAST. Great sex solved naturally. What was grambling like? Well, you know, early 70s, you know, I went in 73. I can imagine what it was like before me. Where you you went there and you realized other schools didn't matter to you. And, and, And the athletes was probably the greatest athlete on planet. Yeah. Because they couldn't go to the other schools. The greatest, just to put that in perspective, you have Jerry Rice, you have Walter Payton, you have yourself, you have the, the greatest athletes. And they've been to the NFL. Let me, yes. let me say this. You know, I played against Walter when, when, when I was a freshman when I played against Walter and he was a senior. And, and on, on his football team, he had Jackie Slater, Robert Bazil, and Walter Payton. I was on the same team. Holy cow. One year they had nine People drafted to the NFL. Grambling had eight. So, so I mean, that's they couldn't go anywhere else. Tennessee State was loaded. Southern University, Grambling, and Jackson State. I mean, that's that's where all your players are. When you think about it, it's, it's 30, 31 uh, NFL players in the Hall of Fame. A lot of people don't know. Most of them guys went to HBCUs yeah. when they call their name. See, Jerry was one of the later models. They, yeah. Jerry came in 85, somewhere in that area. Yeah. Well, he was he was a class of his, his whole thing. And then you got Steve McNair. You know, yeah. those guys, you know, cut out a, a piece of their history at the HBCU. You know, so we've had a lot of players. And if you go back and you want to build a team, and, and I'm going to say this, and I know a lot of people might not agree with this, but I think you can pick any player from any Power 5 school anywhere else and put put a team together. And we pick all the players from the HBCU back in the day. Yeah. You know, we bring in Deacon Jones. We bring in <laughs> we bring in Buck Buchanan. Wow. You know, we bring in Art Shell. Yeah. You know, I'm, Art just, Shell. I'm just saying we got Walter Payton. Mm-hmm. You know, we got Jerry Rice. We got uh, Charlie Jordan, Sammy White. I'm just, I'm just saying yeah. Liam Burney, uh, Emmett Thomas, Lamar Parrish. I'm just saying the people that we can bring in, we can match anybody that you bring in, and and we can go out and perform. Without a doubt, and especially as a quarterback, when you look at the defensive backs at HBCUs, and you're throwing, you're playing those guys. Yes. That's that's who you're throwing against. Mel Blunt. Everson Walls. <laughs> you know, them the kind of yeah. guys that, that came from HBCUs that a lot of people don't give a lot of credence to, that, mm-hmm. that deserve the... The, the credence and 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 the uh, talk about no what was the what was it like? I, I hey how you doing? Come on in. What was it like? What was the what was the I, you know I'm a big drinker. I don't know if you drink or or party at all, but like, but what was the 
party scene like at these HBCUs? Let me, let me tell you this. When I went to school there, Lincoln Parish was a dry county. So you had Louisiana Tech, which is three miles away from Gramlin. You yeah. had Gramlin, two college campuses. You couldn't get no liquor within the parish. It was dry. But you had to cross the line, Wachita Parish, and close to Monroe. Yeah. They, they, that was a, a, a liquor store that the guys went there and got whatever they wanted. They were drinking back then. They were drinking boom foam. <laughs> I think it was about 35 cents a, 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 a point, a half a gallon or whatever. Yeah. You know, so the guys that drank, so it wasn't a big party town. Yeah. Because you couldn't get the liquor. But it was a school, you know, we got old Marto that's been part of Gramlin all his, all his life, since the insistent. Uh, it said that everybody is somebody, which means you knew everybody on campus. You ran into them every day. That's, yeah. how, small, that's how small the campus is because the way it's situated, you, you had the boys on one side, the girls on one side, but you had all the classrooms on the side where the girls were. Yeah. So you had to go down there to go to class. Really? And you had the, the cafeteria and the union in the middle of the campus. So everybody saw everybody every day. What were the parties like on weekends? They they had dances and stuff like that on weekend. I wasn't a partier, but I go and sit outside. You know, my girlfriend used to go there, and I just sit outside, let them go enjoy it. And when you when you get through, we walk them back to the dorm or whatever. You know, that's what we did. Were you focused on football at the time? My 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 junior and senior year was probably when I really got focused because it was a scout from um, Bob Mormon, bless his soul from San Diego Chargers. Mm -hmm. And uh, he used to call me out. When, I, when he came down to Gramlin, we had scouts at, on our campus every day. Yeah. yeah, It's not like that today, but we we had anywhere from three to four to five scouts on campus every day. And he used to call me Stump Jumper, you little Stump Jumper. That's what he used to call me. Every time he came, I looked for Bob because I just wanted to speak to him. Yeah. And I used to get those stickers and put them on my books, San Diego Chargers stickers and stuff. <laughs> and uh, my senior year, going into my senior year, he he told me, he said, hey, stop jumping next year. I might be coming here looking at you. And, you know, right then, they gave me some incentives. Yeah. And uh, I made a pact with my, my girlfriend at that time. And I told her, I said, look, are we only going to get together on Thursday? Because during the week, it was all about football. God. Yeah. That mindset is stuff they talk about on the internet now. Nah, I tell you what, you know, today's game, if you're not, your mind not in it, and, and the thing about it, they got so many things to take their mind off it. <laughs> you know, the money make them be able to get certain things, do certain things, they, they they lose concentration. Yeah. But this game is about dedication. You got to put your mind into it and let the money take care of itself after the football is over. But right now, it's all about football. Yeah. And you, you got to play with Eddie Robinson. You, you've got to play with, I'll just name three legendary coaches, Eddie Robinson, John McKay, and Joe Gibb. And I would love, I, I'm, I'm obsessed. Uh, you, I know you're not probably a big internet guy, but what's happening on the internet right now is you have a bunch of guys, some really valuable and some just copying, giving you life advice about polar plunge, Garcana, morning sun. You need to be dedicated. You need to be up at three in the morning. But those coaches, these coaches were the first generation of those leaders and and you were an amazing leader for the Bucks and for the Redskins as well and for the Outlaws but what give me some sage advice that Eddie Robinson something that Eddie Robinson left you that that kind of carried throughout your life you know I, I'm sitting here today and and I can say this I'm blessed because I, I had an opportunity to to be with coach Robinson for 5 years I was redshirted a year so I was I, I heard him every day yeah and um, Coach Robinson could sell the Eskimo ice. 
<laughs> you know, motivation, that's what he did. Yeah. You know, he used to tell us all the time that he didn't have no no conscience. He left him at home. It was all about football. Yeah. Doing practice. After football, it was about life. You know, he preached about every day being a good man, being a good husband, being a good citizen, uh, being a good American, making sure you can be able to take care of your family. That's what he he honed into us every day after practice. But he was tough as nails, but he was meek and mild. You didn't know he was tough because you saw him so many times how easy he was to talk to, how people got along with him, but he had toughness behind all that. You know, because we went to practice, you know, we went to training camp. When we went to training camp, we used to practice. We was on the field 530 in the morning. So yeah. what, what he did, he taught you dedication. You know, if you spend five years with Coach Robinson, four years with Coach Robinson, getting up at 530 in the morning, you know, everything else is going to be a cakewalk. Yeah. And and he did that. You know, them tour days was was tough as nails because now tour days are a little different. We mm-hmm. you know, we had to put the same jock strap on the second practice. Because we <laughs> we could we didn't have the equipment to, to give you a new one. Yeah. So you hung it up in your locker because you knew you was coming back, you know, that morning, 5 30 to, to 7 30, 8 o'clock, <clears throat> you'd be back at three o'clock. Wow. You know, so we had to go through all that. And Coach Robinson used to always tell us that he told us one thing that still resonate with me today. Because, you know, we didn't, at Grambling and the small universe, we didn't have all the economics that, that these big schools have. We couldn't do some of the things. The facility wasn't up to par per se. But at that time, they was up to par to us because yeah. that's what we had. So we worked with what we had. So Coach Rob used to tell us <clears throat> that we, we've we done so, so much with so little, you can almost do anything without nothing. And that's the mentality that we had. Wow. Who, who were some great, HBCU quarterbacks, and I say quarterbacks, I know that was a position that got overlooked in the NFL at the time, that you played against that you were like, man, if they had given him the opportunity. There was a guy at Tennessee State, they called him Joey 747. He could play. Yeah. Pernell Dickerson, who who was the first black quarterback before me. I remember Pernell Dickerson. Mississippi Valley, two-time offensive player of the year. Really? Yeah. You know, when I think about those guys, Pernell Dickinson, 747. You know, those was the two guys that I seen play that I felt like should have had an opportunity in the National Football League, but it didn't happen. But Pernell did. He, you know, he hurt his knee, and yeah. that was it. But nobody could throw the football like Pernell Dickinson. Yeah. I used to, I was a red straight freshman, man. I'm sitting up in there in the press box at that time, and I'm watching this guy throw the football. He could throw it. Long white socks up his leg, man. He's about 6'2". And he could spend that thing. God. Yeah. And so then you left. Did you go straight from Grambling right to Tampa? Yeah. Yeah. I went I went to um, from Grambling. I was a first-round pick. And let me say this. You know, we, we talk about Coach Rob. Then we talk about Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs was with Tampa Bay. Yeah, he was. Yeah. he well, Didn't he coach at Grambling, too? No. Coach, no, no, no. He didn't no, coach at Grambling. No, That's he, a crazy thing. He was, he was a running back coach at Tampa Bay my rookie year. And it was only one coach in the National Football League that came to see me before the draft. That was Joe Gibbs. Really? We spent two days together. I was doing subs- I was doing student teaching at um, Carroll High School, the same high school that James Harris went to. I was doing student teaching there, and the thing about it was such one of those things. Eddie Jr. was coaching at Carroll High School, so I was up under Eddie, Coach Rob's son at Carroll High School. Yeah. And the principal, when I was first grade at Cheneyville, was the head coach at Cheneyville High School. That's that's the connection when I went up doing my student teaching there. Wow, and you thought you said I heard you say 
that had you not gone, if you'd gone any lower than the third draft, you just going back to coaching. You know, that was my mindset. Because, you know, I, I wanted to be a high school coach. That was, yeah. that was that was my dream because my oldest brother was a coach. Yeah. And I wanted to be a coach. And I, I went to Coach Rob. I said, Coach, I said, um, <clears throat> if I don't go before the third, go between one and three round, I said, I, I don't want to go. Yeah. And Coach Rob said, oh, hell, Cat, you can't do that. I said, what you mean? He said, hell, you got to go. You got to show them you can play. Yeah. You know, that's the last thing. I remember before I went to the Senior Bowl, you know, we played over in Hawaii. Not in Hawaii. We did play in Hawaii, but we also played in Japan. Yeah. And uh, played Temple in Japan. And we came back and we won the game. And um, going back, the guy who was putting on the Japan Bowl at that time, he used to have a Japan Bowl. Like they have all really? these all-star like what, games. What was how? What kind of a culture shock was Japan in 1977? Well, you know, we had our team. The shock was they had so many cameras over there and you could hear them. There was so many cameras. And, yeah. you know, you should go in the room. The beds were so short. You hung out the bed. <laughs> and if you didn't duck, you hit your head on the ceiling. <laughs> you know, that's that's that was the culture shock. But it was great because of how they received us. I mean, it was so loud. We, they, the band was over there. They had a parade, man. It was it was unbelievable. How, what was the what plane? Did you guys just fly commercial over there? No, we had charter flight. Shut up. Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you right now, if they have that foot, if anyone's got footage, I'll pay, I'll pay top dollar. Yeah, see, we, would, we didn't, we didn't, uh, had a guy got by the name of Mr. Najita. That's, that's who, that's who paid for everything. Really? To come to Japan. Yeah. This is us. We went twice. We went 76 and 77. And in 77, you had the opportunity to break the touchdown record. I did over, over in uh, Japan. And you opted for see, I, it, you know, to me it was about winning, number one, and um, you know, Temper had beat us in '76 up in Philadelphia, Veteran Stadium, 31-30 on the last second pass. Yeah. So to me, it was it was a revenge game, and we got the ball back with three three minutes or something left on on the um, 15 yard line. We had to go 85 yards with about three minutes or something left. And we we went down third down. One of my we got in a situation. I had to scramble for a first down, so we was able to move the ball all the way down the field. Got to the ten yard line, you know, with about thirty seconds left. And Coach Rob called timeout. And he said, "Okay, Cap, what are we gonna do here? What what you want to throw?" <laughs> I said, "No, Coach, we 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 not. I had thirty two. I had thrown thirty two TD passes. Dennis Shaw at that time had thrown 30, 32 TD passes, and uh, no thirty eight. 38, I had 38. And coach say, hell, what you want to throw, Cal? I said, coach, we not going to throw. He said, hell, Cal, you don't need but one to break the record. I said, we got to win, coach. We got to find a way to win. Yeah. He said, well, hell, what you want? I said, let's run the sweep. And uh, he said, hell, you want Odell? Odell was starting tailback. I said, no, keep Odell on the sideline. I said, because if Odell come out, they're going to know you're running. They know you're running. Yeah, and they know you got the record. They know that you're going to be throwing. I'll tell you what so they, so they, So now... So wait, let me guess. They got they load up the end zone with deep defensive backs. They drop nine in coverage. They drop nine people in coverage. Oh, it's a no-brainer. The sweep went in untouched. <laughs> Wasn't nobody around Floyd Womack when he scored. Not wow. a one. Not a soul. And after that game, went in the locker room. That was the same week where they was giving out the Heisman Trophy. And, and Coach Rob said, hey, the Heisman Trophy winner is in this room. That's good. You know, that was probably the highest compliment that a, a player could could be paid by his coach. Was it hard leaving him? 
you know, I know I had to go, but I talked to Coach every night. We talked every night. Really? Yeah. Coach, Coach, man, he wanted to know what was happening. And, you know, hey, Cap, what you do on this and that? And But I talked to him every night. And um, it wasn't hard because I got an opportunity to go to pro, you know. And it wasn't about the money per se. It was money, but it was an opportunity to play in the professional rank. No, were you, were you the were you the were you undeniable at that time? Because you, you went in the first round. Warren Moon came out the same year. Did he really? I, you know, it's so funny. Warren came out the same year. He went to Canada, and he was the MVP in in the, in the conference and in the Rose Bowl. Warren MVP. I don't know why they didn't draft. Warren should have been drafted. Warren had a spectacular career. Yeah, and and I was I was the only quarterback drafted in the first round in in nineteen seventy eight, and and that was by by Tampa Bay who had the first pick, and they traded it. They traded the first pick of the draft to Houston. Okay, uh, and they picked Earl Campbell. Picked Earl Campbell, and then Tony Dorsett went to the Cowboys. That was the year before. That was the year before. So, yeah, I remember uh, Ricky Bell and Tony Dorsett. Seven, that was seventy. We went with Ricky Bell. Yeah. They went with Tony Dorsett. Yeah, yeah. These are all like I got to tell you, <laughs> my my knowledge is all from sitting in those steel seats in the in the in the big sombrero. And my dad, my dad was obsessed. My dad was from the north. Okay, so he was obsessed at making sure I didn't grow up uh, with a, a, a southern. Uh, insight into the way football was supposed to be. Yeah, my dad was very, my dad still is very progressive. He was supposed to be here today, but he's he was getting sick, and I said, well, don't come. But my dad, my dad was a tremendous, uh, you were a tremendous uh, inspiration to my dad and to me and to everyone. But but I remember Ricky Bell. Ricky Bell passed away prematurely. 83, man. Look, Ricky Bell, for me, he was he was probably the one guy that um, that probably kept me on the wrap, you know, because things and when things wasn't going good, you know, you hear the people in the stands booing and stuff, and he had already been through it because they was people thought they should have got Tony Dorsett over him. I heard that a lot. Yeah, so, I heard that around us, right. around in the seats, a all lot, time, all a time. lot. So you know, as a game of stuff like that, you know, we'd be sitting at the locker, and he come back, he sit down, and say, "Hey, man." You just got to keep your head up. You just got to keep plugging away. Keep your, this was in this was in '78, you know, because we we ended up I think with four or five games we won in '78. But early on, he used to come to me every every day and say, "You got to keep going, man. You got to keep pushing." That was a spectacular season, considering '77 we won one. Yeah, '79 was our year. Oh, we'll get to '79. <laughs> we'll get to '79. Now, uh, so you leave Grambling, you come to Florida, you go, move to Tampa. You get, um, if I'm not mistaken, $120,000? Let me say this. The bonus, my bonus, my whole package for five years. Now, think about this. Well, nine, the minimum you can get for one year is, is what, almost $700,000 for yeah. one year. My total package for five years was $655,000. Five years. Holy crap. <laughs> Did that? Did that seem? It's, it's it's the lowest. It's the lowest you can pay a quarterback. I think in the at the time, it really honestly. I think you. It, you know, I set out a week. I didn't come in for a week to try to contract negotiation. Yeah, yeah. I set out for a week. I, my 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 agent was Jimmy Walsh, was the same guy that had uh, Joe Namath, 
at that time. They were calling you the Black Joe Namath in they, college. They did. I, I got a uh, autograph home nine scrapbook, and they got a picture that said the Black Joe Namath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I told him after a week. And you didn't know who Joe Namath was. Oh, I knew who he was. <laughs> but you weren't a fan. You weren't like, that I, I, wasn't your guy. No, I mean, no, he wasn't my guy. I knew who he yeah, was. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, at that time, James Harris was playing. That was, that was my guy. He was playing for the Rams? He, he was with the Rams at that yeah. time. That, that was my guy. You know, Joe Joe um, Gilliam and people like that. That's, you know, David David Mays. Was, see, people don't know David Mays was in Cleveland. Uh, John Walton was in um, Philadelphia. See, them people, that's who I had to pull for because they look like me. Yeah, you know? That's so important. I yeah. mean, like, I, and I don't think I ever really understood that until Tiger Woods came and played golf. Right. And... And then, and then you saw golf courses change, right? And then you were like, "Oh, I get it," because this has been predominantly a white sport, and now people are going, "Oh, I can play also." Yeah, but yeah, so those were your guys. That makes total sense. And you go down to Tampa. Did did the money seem like a lot to you though? Still, well, you know, think about it. During that time, everybody wasn't making a lot of money, no way. Yeah, that, that was a lot of money, but everybody. Yeah. Would, I mean, compared to today, it's it's chump change per se. But mm-hmm. back then, you know, the union, now everybody know what everybody's making. Yeah. Because the union made sure that everybody knows because it helped them negotiate. But back then, you signed a contract and the general manager tell you, don't tell nobody. You know, when I found out my last year in Tampa that my backup was making more than me, Mike Ray, who played for, for uh, Coach McKay at Southern Cal. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't know that because why? When you sign your, that's all you know. You don't know what everybody else is making. That's crazy. Did you have a job in the in the offseason? <laughs> I did one year at, at Ernie Harris Ford. <laughs> I worked at the car dealership. I did my, 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 my second year. Over on Florida. Huh? It was on Florida Avenue. Yeah, Ernie Hare. My dad represented Ernie Hare. Did he really? My dad was there the day he got shot by Mary. My dad, my dad was good. My my dad was good friends with the family. You knew your son, then Ernie and David. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I played. I went skiing with Ernie and David when I was a kid. I got my first car from Ernie and David. My sister, like we, all our cars came from the Hare, the Ford dealership. But my and my my dad would say. Leroy Selman had a job at a bank on this. Yeah, on this. He played, you're right. You, okay. you go to the bank. I knew where I knew where Leroy Selman lived. <laughs> Ernie Hare. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and and that that blew me away. Now that I think, I have some friends that play professional football, and to know what they make, and the idea that their off season spent mostly getting ready for the season, right? And to think that you guys all had to take jobs to supplement your income is unbelievable. You know, for what they go through now, they are, it's, it's year-round. You know, they got trainers. You got stuff to work. We didn't do that. Yeah, what was your training like? What you was know, your workouts like? We, Did you we, had a, we had an off-season basketball team. <laughs> we traveled across all the way across Florida. I even brought them to Louisiana one time. Really? And, yeah, to, to play basketball. That's basically how we stayed in shape. We'll go in and, and go in, work for about an hour, throw passes and stuff like that. And and we have about two games a week on the road basketball. Yeah. Our, the equipment manager was our coach. <laughs> <laughs> really, <laughs> he travels with us, so we did that. But you only had a mini camp. You only had one mini camp in May, after the draft. Yeah, and then the rest you came to training camp. But training camp was a lot longer than what it is today. Really, six weeks. Wow. And you, you you know six weeks. You play four four. Uh, preseason game but you know you imagine six weeks now 
after two and a half weeks, they out of training camp almost. Yeah. <laughs> Did you were you lifting weights? You know, weight room. My weight room was my biggest this room at Tampa. Really? Yeah. yeah. We didn't have a weight room per se. Oh, wow. <laughs> so like Leroy Selman was never a big weightlifter? Uh, yeah, what whatever was in there, he was picking that up. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you got to understand Leroy. Have you ever heard of Country Strong? Yes, I have. He was country strong. Really? I still unbelievable to me to watch Leroy at about 245 pounds with a crescent wrench in his back pocket and how he can just lift offensive linemen up and keep going forward. It he, was unbelievable. He was impressive. Um, you know, it's unfair, to be honest with you. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame, but our defense played a three-man front, which was unfair for Leroy. Yeah. Because he, he he got double-teamed every play. Every play. Every play. Could you imagine when when the Bucks finally won the Super Bowl with 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 uh, Warren Sapp? Warren Sapp, uh, I forgot the defense. Booger McFarland, tackle. I think. Booger, was, no, it wasn't nope. another guy uh, tackle. But you got Simeon Rice. You got ends that people had to worry about. Yeah. See, he uh, Leroy never had that. He he knew he was going to have two people blocking him on every play. <sighs> Unbelievable. That's it's interesting. It's interesting when you think about like just how how complex the game's gotten and how different the game's gotten and how much how much talent I feel like is around the game now. Like you look back then and you think, you know, not to say that it wasn't the same type of talent, but the the extras that everyone gets. So look, it's a little different. You know, David Lewis was a linebacker, probably mm -hmm. one of the biggest linebackers during that time. You had Batman Woods. You know, you had Caesar Johnson, Dewey Selma. Dewey Selma. That that was our core, which was a pretty good core. Yeah. You know, I don't know whether that, as a whole, David Lewis and Batman probably could play today because of athletic ability. Mm -hmm. uh, Caesar and and Dewey wasn't as athletic, so in the three four, it it been tough on them today. Yeah. But back then it wasn't. You know, we had a great defense. Cedric Brown was a free safety. You know, we 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 had what we call a uh, a bend but don't break defense. We feel like eventually you move the ball and all of a sudden, boom, we make it happen. And yeah. we turn over or something like that. They was We had a pretty good defense. Do you that. remember the first car, car you bought when you bought came to Tampa? A car? Yeah. Yeah, I had a, a van. I had a van. Like a conversion van? Like with yep. seat, captain seats and everything? I had everything, man. I, with a CB, too. Oh. Breaker, breaker. I didn't know how to run <laughs> Yeah, I had a van. My my first car was a van. Oh, my dad had a van. He argues that he never had a van, but he had a van. I had a van. Had it, you know, I, I'm I, in Zachary. Sunshine Motors converted it for me. I sure did. Really? <laughs> and this is just you. You're single at the time. Yeah, just me. But God. the van just felt good, you know? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Those vans Those vans are the SUVs of today. It, you're right. Exactly right. It was a game changer. We picked my aunt up from the airport in a van. And I remember being in that captain's chair going, this is the life. It, it was. Don't get rid of this van, Dad. And you got room. It was all about the room. My daughter, Isla, wants a conversion van. <laughs> <laughs> She's a weird kid. <laughs> the uh, So what was the, gr the group of guys? When, was was Jimmy Giles on the on the team when you got there? We came together. Really? He was, he was in Houston. He was part of the trade. Oh, really? When they traded the first-round pick, they got Jimmy Giles and uh running back by the name of Don Hotterman. Um, and then we got some draft picks, which we drafted Chuck Ficino, who was a backup quarterback to me during that time. 
So they got about three or four draft picks along with uh, Jimmy Giles and Don Hardiman for for um, the running back. You and Jimmy Cameron. Giles were magic. Jimmy, it was so funny. You know, now you go to the line, quarterback, they got audibles. They say yeah. kill, kill, and they call a play. Well, when we had a pass play on, and I know it was going to be we needed a first down, I used to go to the huddle, go to the line of scrimmage, just look around before I get into the, the signal calling. I used to look down and say, homeboy, that was a signal. <laughs> I said, homeboy. <laughs> and that's the honest God truth. He knew he had to get open. He, and and it, it worked every time. He was. I mean, you and him, when we were kids, me and Brian Callahan would be Doug Williams and Jimmy Giles. And, and, the, and the thing was, you had to throw the pass over his head. Over his shoulder. Over, over the shoulder. shoulder. Always over the shoulder. My dad would tell me it's about it's about balance. And my dad would practice. And, and you'd turn around and you had to be able to keep your eyes and see the horizon. And it was like. See, a lot of people don't know. Jimmy Giles was a baseball player now. Really? Jimmy went to the Dodgers. He went to the Dodgers training and all that. He was a third baseman. Jimmy Giles swing. I bet that thing was beautiful. There's I, the I, best. I, I'm obsessed with. I great can imagine because let me tell you something. He can swing the golf club for real. Oh my God, Jimmy Giles, him and Pernell Dickerson, they go head to head. Them two can swing the golf club. Open invite, Jimmy Giles. You want to go to Scotland? I'll fly you out. I'm telling you, if you if you invite Jimmy and Pernell, you're gonna have two guys who who gonna shoot you 72, 74 every time. You play golf? I, I try to. Golf is my handicap. <laughs> 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 so did you guys gel a second you got down there? Yeah, we did. You know, that's that old HBCU connection. Mm -hmm. Giles went to Alcorn. And, you know, it was me. So we was buddy and Ike Hagen. We all went, you know, we we knew each other pretty good. Gosh. Yeah. It, just... it, it was that it was that fraternity that uh, unspoken fraternity that going to HBCU, we knew we had to work harder to stay here. Than a lot of people did. Now, did they get did they get hate mail as well? I don't think they did. I think it was just the quarterback position. It was most of the quarterback position. How did you? I'm I'm sure I'm sure at a certain time, by the time you were at the Redskins, you must have been callous to it. But when you're young, you're 21 years old, 21, 22, and you're getting hate mail. Got a lot of mail. You know, the thing about it, I used to get it, and I used to set it in my locker, man, and and it just blew me away because I'm thinking, how? how how could people think like this? And why? I'm playing football. I'm playing quarterback. Yeah. But some of the stuff they had in these letters, it was unbelievable. You know, and I just throw it away. You know, now that I think about it, you know, I wish I had to save some, but I always say, no, put that in file 13. And I would throw it away because when it, when it, when it got to you without a return address on it, I wouldn't even open it no more. It got to that point. Yeah. Because I figured that's what it was. Until one time I got... I got a beautiful wrap box. Now, the way this thing was wrapped, you had to open it. Yeah. When I opened it and opened it up, it had a rotten watermelon in and a, and, a, and a little note that say, throw this to those ends. They might catch this, which was blew me away. I mean, completely out the water. And then none of this was really shared with the community of Tampa. No, no. It was just within, you know, the couple guys, the buddies and stuff like that. I said, hey, man, look at this. You know, they all got pissed, but what, what what could you do? Couldn't do nothing about it. No, what like <clears throat> what guy? Uh, the the did the did the white guys on the team empathize? Not to put any weight on them, but like I know that I I mean I knew the whole I knew I know the whole roster practically. W was there empathy for it? Was there it almost like 
I I'm a suck. I didn't feel it. You know, I guess, you know, it all depends on how they grew up. They probably grew up and said, okay, you know, that's that's a natural. Don't worry about it. Don't get in, don't get involved in it. Yeah. And I think that's what really happened. But, you know, I never had a problem with a teammate. That's and I tell people that all the time. I, I never saw any racism in the huddle or in the locker room. Yeah. You know, now I don't know what their mindset was. Yeah. You know, you can't you can, you don't know what a man's mindset, you know. It probably been been that or whatever, but at the same time, it it didn't bother me. You know? Yeah. The uh John McKay. <laughs> John McKay is epic. For anyone who doesn't know, John McKay has the best quotes ever from a coach at a press conference. One time, this is my dad's favorite. One time he said, What do you think about your defense execution? And he said, I'm for it. I'm for it. <laughs> I remember now another day he, he, he Ricky Bell had carried the ball forty two times, and they asked Fair. I said, well, "Why did you give Ricky Bell the ball forty two times?" He said, it "Ain't heavy." <laughs> <laughs> but no, let me tell you about John McKay, man. And and this is the, this is a real coming out of high school. It was only two coaches, you know. After I realized I was going to Gramlin, the only other coach I would have wanted to play for was John McKay, and you know why? Jimmy Jones. Oh. He, he played Jimmy Jones back in 1968 and 69. Black quarterback. At USC. At SC. SC, yeah. I didn't, other than that, I didn't see. I saw one black quarterback during that time, and that was at Tennessee, Condrick Holloway. Other than that, you didn't see a black quarterback at a Power 5 school. How crazy to be progressive. John McCain must have been born in 1919. Let me tell you this. Doing, when, when all the stuff, people booing and getting those letters, he called me to his office one day. And he told me, he said, Dougie. And they always told me if he put IE at the bottom, at the back of your name, he likes you. Yeah. So he always he called me Dougie. <laughs> Dougie, the best athlete, this is under God true. He told me, he said, the best athlete are the black athletes. He said, I've been coaching a long time, and that's been my my best athlete. He said, so you can't worry about it, Dougie. You just got to go out and do what you got to do. Now, he went up in the stands one day behind fans because, of, you know, he's, he, they told him to take those ends back to California. He was going up in the stands. Players had to, the whole coach to tell him to go to the locker room. Really? No, no he'll fight for you. Yeah, people forget, and I'm and I mean this with respect. I'm from Tampa, but people forget that Tampa was not the Tampa it is today. You know what I say, huh? You can't go no further south because if you go any further, you're in the golf. <laughs> <laughs> That's the honest God truth. That is the truth. No, no, no. Tampa was a a very very racist town during that time, but it, you know you didn't know it because most of the blacks stayed in one area. You know, it wasn't like Spread it out. I know where you know where I was telling you where I lived down from the Catholic Church. I was the only one in that neighborhood at one time, and then Wally Chamber came down and moved two houses down from me. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I Florida was very segregated. Yeah. In, in my opinion, even when I was went to college in the '90s, you had FAMU and you had Tallahassee, you had Florida State, and 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 even still, it seemed like broke up. One of my good friends, uh, a rapper named T Pain. And I was, and he grew up in Tallahassee. Right. And we talked about it one day, and he was like, Yeah, man, there, it's just the way things were. It seemed like there was one street, Nebraska, and then, and that was where everything, and that's where we got. I mean, I'll tell you, you know, as a kid, we used to play Hillsboro. Hillsboro was the predominantly black yeah. high school. 
And bro, when you faced is that where uh, Dwight Gooden Dwight went, Gooden went to school? Gary Sheffield. Yes, yes. They all went to school there, and and there was uh, there was a and there was a difference just in playing them because their stands were just packed, packed and loud, and you were just like going, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> we know I never played Dwight Gooden, but like I played his cousin, and uh, his cousin threw heat. That's I don't know you talking about big he, guy. Uh, well. He had, he had Gary, a couple. He had a Gary couple. Sheffield was one of his cousins. Yeah, that's, that's he had, his nephew. That's his nephew. Gary and then Kiki, uh, Kiki was one of his cousins. There was, but man, that that was just. Now, I, I used to go down where they where they played little league when they went to the World Series. Yeah, you know, I I, I gave him money to donate it to him to go to the World Series back then. They used to play down Hillsborough by the graveyard down yep, there. I yep. used to play little league baseball. Yeah. Ah, wow. And so, so w- did you guys hang out a lot off off field, or were you pretty? You know, I didn't. Some? I didn't see. I didn't see Dwight. You know, I, I was probably a little older than you Dwight. were older yeah. than Dwight. Yeah, no, I didn't see Dwight that much. Uh, didn't see Gary. I didn't see Gary most until after my playing day was over. And I went back to work for Tampa. Yeah, because I had a friend that lived in the same area that that he lived in, so I would see him every now and then. Wow. And now, how about you and the team? Did you hang out with Ricky Bell and and Ike and Ricky Bell didn't hang out? Really? No, that's one thing about Ricky Bell. We had one place we used to go to every Thursday night. You you would find probably anywhere from ten to fifteen players in there. They call it Grace's place. They call it the Ace, and that was the place to go. Really? Yeah. Where was that? Oh, it was right off of Main Street. Okay. And then you know the Whites the. The whites who used to own own all the um, barbecue places and stuff mm-hmm. down yeah. there, it was right down from there, and we used to go there. And it was Thursday was women night, <laughs> the latest night. That yeah, was, that, that was one reason everybody hung out. Yeah, was, you know, one of those things. And you you would find ten or twelve guys there. You know, it wasn't a place you stayed at until one or two o'clock. Yeah, you know, we always got out of there at a respectable time because we had to go to practice the next day. Yeah, I love that football was always on your mind. Oh, he had to go to practice. Yeah, that was that was part of it. Wow. And so John McKay, uh, his coaching staff at the time was, and I think this, I think this is cool. Was uh, him, uh, uh, John Gruden's dad. <laughs> You're right, Coach Gruden. Coach Gruden. Well, Co- Coach Gruden's wife was a teacher at my grade school. Really? Yeah. And uh, so we followed John and his brother. We followed, yeah, we followed their careers in high school because they were older than us. Chamberlain. In Chamberlain. Yeah, they went to Chamberlain. (laughs) And and so we, I've known the Grudens, not, I don't know John and I don't know his brother, but I, uh, of them my whole life. And you had Joe Gibb. Yeah, I, I, I knew John since he was about 16, 17 years old. He said your your cadence was the best cadence he's yeah. ever heard. <laughs> That's my guy, you know, because I went back to Tampa to work for John. Oh, well, yeah, when he was at the box. Yeah, I went back and worked for John. The year that they won the Super Bowl, John asked me that I want to come back and work for him. Mm-hmm. But I was coaching at Gramlin. And I told John, I said, John, I'm having too much fun right now. Yeah. You know, and then they won the Super Bowl, so I called him and said, hey, man, you owe me a ring. Because I went down doing minicamp and talked to the team yeah. doing minicamp. And the next year he called me, and, and that's when I left and went down there in 04. Went wow. down there. When was the last time you talked to John Gruden? I texted John probably two weeks ago. We text all the time. Really? Yeah. You think he'll ever get back into coaching? Roses are red. Violets are blue. Trim your balls 
and your date will thank us too. What's up, fellas? Valentine's Day is knocking, and Manscaped is the remedy for what the love doctor ordered. His prescription, that all-new Performance Package 5.0 Ultra designed to elevate your grooming game and shine like the heartthrob you are. Join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com to snag 20% off plus free shipping with code BERT. Let's talk about the hero of Valentine's Day. The Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Dude, I love this thing. I think about this thing anytime I pick up any clipper because they have nailed it. They have nailed it. This electric trimmer features skin-safe technology, guarding your Valentine's Day treasures against any grooming mishaps. It also comes with their brightest LED spotlight yet. It's brighter than the best romantic smile you're ever going to see. Perfect for precise grooming, even in the trickiest spots. Oh, and it's also waterproof making the shower a a breeze to shave in. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BERT at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BERT because your grooming upgrade awaits. Ready to charm your Valentine's dates? You think he'll ever get back into coaching? I don't know, but, but you know, and I know what they say John is and all that, and I'm not doubting the fact that he might have said something, what have you. But everybody say something every now and then. But I know John Gruden, what he was to me, and and what I think of John Gruden. Mm-hmm. I don't look at him as as a as a racist per, per se. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm not fun of what he said. Yeah. But that that's him, and and how he got out or what have you. But but John Gruden to me is a guy that you know. My son know John well. Who's a, my son's assistant football, quarterback coach at the Saints. So he know John, you know, because he's been to John's academy and sat in the room with him. I've sat in the room with him. I know Jay because Jay coached here, yeah. you know. So and, I, and me and his daddy, and I called his daddy probably about two weeks ago because you know he lost his wife. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I called Coach Gruden and talked to him just to see how he was doing. So John to me is 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 a friend for me, mm-hmm. and gonna always be a friend because I I, I look at him from a different perspective. Yeah, yeah, I I, I, feel, I feel the same way. I mean, it's regrettable of yeah. what happened, but and he knows football. Oh no, John Gruden is a football coach. He is a football coach. That's exactly what he is. Certain people don't have that. Joe like, Gibbs is a football football coach. 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 He's a football coach. You know, I, and you're right. You know, even now, you know, even with our team now, <clears throat> you know, I always look at it from when we was there. You know, from a leadership standpoint. You know, Joe didn't have to say much to the players on his team because he had players of characters, and and they all was leaders. Everybody on the field, I don't care who, what position you played, yeah, they was leaders. Everybody would listen to whoever said what on the field. Really? Yeah, they followed each other. So, yeah. you know, when we got off the bus, got off the plane, whatever, our mentality was a lot different. Our mentality, we weren't going to see could we win this game. We was going to win. it. That's the mentality. We're going to win. Yeah. And it was we won or lost, but the mentality was we was gonna win. You didn't like shit getting your head when you got on that field. You were just you went to play. You, you're playing for yourself and Joe Gibbs and the Redskins at that time. Yeah, that's what it was all about. Yeah, there was no like. Did you ever? Because like I, I've had it where the extra shit gets in your head when you go on stage. Like for us, it's specials. Mm-hmm. When you do a special, you have so much pressure. You're spending so much money on one performance. How did you? How were you? How were you able to 
kind of shift out the criticisms about you and just perform? It was, it was, you know, it was the line on the lines on the field, and the helmet. You know, everything that you got to concentrate on should be between the lines. Yeah, and and that's how you do it. You can't worry about who's looking, who's cheering, who's not, and you got your helmet on, so it's kind of like blindness. Yeah. So you don't worry about it. But how did you play hurt? I was at the game when you played with a broken jaw. You had a crazy face mask on, <laughs> and you had pliers in your pocket in case you threw up. <laughs> you're right. I'm, 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 no, I'm, this is no, like— You're right. I remember that so vividly, and my dad saying that, like, just like the little things, that, like, when you don't want to get up early and go to school, that is what you need to look at. He's got a broken jaw, and he's still playing. You had a broken jaw your whole first season. Half, half, he, half of my, my, my first season. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? He played hurt so much. Yeah, you know what? It's, it's all about, it's, it's old cliche that you can play with pain, you can't play injured. You know, my leg wasn't broken, so I could play. It, yeah. The knee just hurt a little bit. And, you know, you, it's only three hours. You can go home and prop it up and put some ice on it. You'll be all right tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, you know, you got to have that mentality. Yeah. And today, you know, People always say, why you walk like that? You know, if you understood, standing in that pocket, getting hit, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't protect the quarterback back then like they yeah. do today. You know, I got hit when the ball was gone, whether they had three steps or four steps, you still was going to get hit. You you had you had a stance when you threw that I would emulate where you drop back on your back foot. And and then when you threw a pass, you kind of jog back a little bit. <laughs> I did the same shit. I did the same shit. As a kid, I just emulated you. And my dad's like, buddy, he's dropped on his back foot because he knows he's going to get lit up. <laughs> he, no, you, you can't be, you know, if you stand there, you, you plant it, that's when you get injured. Yeah. You got to be light-footed. You got to keep moving. You, that, uh, a quick pivot, but like to see the quarterbacks today and how much protection they have, and I'm not saying, listen, I'm by no stretch of means do I not think it's tough being an NFL quarterback, but compared to when you were a quarterback, I actually think, the entire quarterback position changed because they were so rough on the quarterbacks, and they realized if you don't have a quarterback that can scramble, you're screwed. Today, it, it today league is a quarterback league. Yeah, you know you don't win if you don't have a quarterback, and I think that's one of the reasons why the protection is there for them, and and you got to be able to move. Because let me tell you something: if you're a stature today, you're in trouble. Yeah, because these blitzes and these athletes and stuff coming at you, you can't move. You in trouble. I mean, we fortunate here now. Um, Sam Howe, Sam Howe is to me, you know, is a guy that we got to find a way to put some people around him to, to give him the protection. Mm -hmm. And plus, he can move, he yeah. can sidestep you, he can throw on the run, and he can run it. Yeah. So, but we look across the league, that's basically what they got now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, know, you don't have Brady, was probably the greatest quarterback. To, to play in this league, per se, you know, because you got Joe Montana and you got it, well, um, Peyton Manning. But those guys, Peyton Manning and Brady, couldn't, wasn't shifted. But they played with some people that had an offensive line, they can get the ball out their hand. How would Brady have fared with your offensive line? <laughs> <laughs> I, you don't want me to answer that, dude. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know we, we whether we would have had a Brady. Behind, <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest. Yeah. Behind that line. Do you ever look at the the, the current the current rules and, and the way football's played and think, Josh, 
if I could just get up there. Man, I tell you, if if I could have, if I could eliminate some of the hits that I took during my time as a quarterback, I probably would be walking straight right now. You took some vicious hits. I wouldn't be limping right now. Let me say that. You know, I've had five knee operations on my left one and one on my right one. You know, back surgery, neck surgery. You know, I had all that because, you know, that's the wear and tear on your body. Yeah. You, you know, I don't care what, what you do. If you get hit as much as me or anybody else, it might not look like it now, but down the road, you're going to see the wear and tear. Because I'm, I'm thinking about, bless his soul, Walter Payton. Walter Payton never missed a game because of injuries, mm-hmm. you know. And he had a bad left knee. When Walter Payton retired, I saw him in the, in the airport one day, and he was dragging that left knee. And I'm looking at Walter. I said, boy, that don't look like Walter Payton. Yeah. I said, what's wrong, man? He said, man, my left knee. You know, that that tell you it's the wear and tear. It'll, it'll take it'll take a toll once you walk away. It'll take a toll on you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy to think that our quarterbacks we see today that are getting these GOAT statuses, when you look at the way the league has progressed, you realize they're it, sometimes maybe they don't acknowledge the gifts they've been given by the change in the rules and because you got who who is there anyone where you wake up sore and you think about that person like Deacon Jones you're like man I wish I I he hit hard as shit no it's only one guy that I can remember more than anything guy by the name of Edra Johnson Green Bay Packer because yeah. of him he's the he the only guy pretty much saw me in half. He hit me in my back. It was like one thing went this way, my back went this way. I mean, that's that's probably the hardest hit that I can remember. Really, was when uh, Edra Johnson hit me, and I, I, you know, today I'm talking, I'm still talking about that. You, I mean, thirty some years, forty some years ago, Edra Johnson was playing defensive end for the Green Bay Packers. Wow, and I can remember that like it was yesterday. Do you think had they negotiated your contract correctly, that the Bucks would have been a dynasty? I think we'd have had a better team. Uh, well, you, there's you know, no question about that. Yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't know about a dynasty. I think we would have been in. You the, hang on, your third season. You no, you're 79. Your second, second season, season. You take us to the NFC right. championships. Then the third, we had a, we had a bad season. My third one. Yeah, and then went to the playoffs the next two two seasons. One of them was a strike year, uh, 82, two seasons. So three seasons we went to the playoffs. You do. You, I remember, I mean, I think the big thing in Tampa was had that contract been negotiated fairly, we we would not have been the Tampa Bay Bucks that people think of. Because we're talking, I don't know, like 15 straight seasons. 13 years. 13 years yeah. of losing seasons where I could go through and name the quarterbacks who went on to have good, like, Jack, to- Jack, remember the throwing Simone? Yes, I Jack do. Jack Thompson. You know, let, let me say what, let me tell you what Jack said. The year after I left, I left in 82. Jack was the quarterback in 83. I saw Jack. Jack's a nice guy. I saw Jack somewhere, and he came to me, man. He said, hey. Throwing Samoan. He said, I never saw a team that had so much respect for you. He said, man, this team loved you. You know, and I remember the first game they played Detroit Lions. He got he got sacked 11 times that game. Because, you know, Jack was more like a statue. You couldn't, you, yeah, yeah. yeah, Jack wasn't moving nowhere. And he said, but they got so much respect for you. You know, and and to me, you know, I said, "Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate." It. He said, "Nah." He said, "I'm I'm telling you the truth." And to this day, I saw Jack in Hawaii what three years ago, and because he was part of that Polynesian Bowl thing that they do every year. Yeah. 
And uh, he came up, he working with a bank, you know, he yeah. came to me and said, man, how you doing? You know, just stuff like that. But but I respect Jack for that for, for making that comment. But there, Steve DeBerg came in after Steve that? Steve DeBerg came Danny in. Danny Testaverde? Steve Young. Steve Young. I remember Steve Young. <laughs> and then you see them go on and have great careers. You're like, God damn it, what happened to us? How come you nah. guys couldn't do it with us? Yeah, and yeah. then you, you go see you go on and yeah. play the USFL was big as fuck. The USFL, let me tell you that we had so much talent overall. And yeah. the depth wasn't there. Didn't have the depth. You know, and I played for the Oklahoma Outlaws first, which we didn't have a lot of talent. You had me and a couple other guys, you know, receiver. And we then went to Arizona. Frank Cush was my coach. You know, we 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 always was decent. We yeah. wasn't winning. Yeah. But you look around the league, you think about how many guys that played in the USFL that is Hall of Famers today. It's crazy. Yeah, Reggie White played in, I played my last game in the USFL against Reggie White up in Memphis, the, wow. the showboats. <laughs> Good God. Yeah. We had the Bandits down in Tampa. And the big the Bandits. Burt Reynolds was bigger than the Bandits. That's right. Uh, what's, my, what's the owner name? I remember the owner, his daughter played tennis. I can't think of the name. John something. Uh, Bassett. Yeah. Nicole Bassett. Is that his daughter's name? Yeah, the daughter yeah. was a tennis player, but his name was John Bassett. Now, he had probably the best promotion than anybody in the league because he always had about forty to 50,000 people in that stadium. That I, when we went to USFL, USFL yeah. games, too. Yeah. The Bandits came out with a shirt that glowed in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the hottest thing. I tell you, he was a salesman. Yeah, he was yeah. a salesman. Yeah. And, and Burt Reynolds was on the sidelines That's with right. Lonnie Anderson every game. I promoted that movie, his, his movie, The Bandit. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I always wanted to meet Burt Reynolds. I met Dolly Parton once, and I said to her, uh, I really want to meet Burt Reynolds, and Dolly Parton was so frank. She's such a funny person. She goes, honey, you better hurry up quick. He's going to be dead in six months. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. <laughs> you saw, did you see her in the cheerlead outfit last week? No, I didn't. You didn't? No, I didn't. I, I'm on the road, so I'm working okay, nonstop. At, at the Dallas game at halftime. Yeah. Yeah, she was full blown Dallas cheerleader. Man, I, when I when I was with her, she was, and I mean this as out of respect. She was. It was a hot summer day in Pigeon Forge, and she was ice cold. She wasn't sweating. Her makeup wasn't running. She was on. She called my wife on the phone. My wife's a big Dolly Parton fan. Dolly used to donate books to the Appalachian right. kids, and uh, my wife lost her mind. My wife, and then she signed a guitar, gave it to my wife. Dolly Parton's. A real one. Good. She's a real one. The uh do you I I I do how this you don't have to totally go into great detail, but I'm just curious. I think everyone everyone goes through like a low point that kind of redefines them, like a bottom. And nineteen eighty two was like a sincere bottom for you. 80, 83. 83. April, April eighty three. Yeah, when when I lost my wife. You know, my and you're wife, young. You're young at the time. Yeah, twenty what twenty six somewhere like that. Name twenty six, twenty seven. You know what? When that's when I realized the contract, going through the contract thing and everything, I realized that it wasn't about football. It was about life, and I didn't care whether I played football anymore. You know, I went home uh, when I lost my wife. I stayed at home, and uh, my my oldest brother, who I talked about earlier, was a principal. At Northwestern Middle School, and I went. I went there to substitute every year, cause you, every, every day, cause you know there's always gonna be somebody who's gonna miss work. Yeah. So he would call me every morning, say, 
you got to sub for such and such. So I go to school every day and and did student teaching. And I felt like, you know, after school year, I was going to get me a high school coaching job somewhere. And because I had my daughter, I had a daughter who was three months old when her mom passed. So she was young. So I feel like somebody got to take care of, you know. So football wasn't wasn't big to me at that particular time. It didn't matter. Really? You know, yeah. I, 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 you understood that money couldn't bring my wife back. You know, money couldn't do a lot of things. So what is what is the NFL? What is what is football? You know, from that standpoint. A single father. Yeah, it was it was bad, but you know, I was fortunate enough to have my mom and my my oldest sister. You know, I had some people who had my back. You know, I had just bought like like eight acres of, of land to build a house. You know, I had everything already. In Louisiana? Planned. Yeah, yeah. Had I had that all planned out and and this happened, you know. Oh man. Yeah. Do you did you ever did you ever come to terms with the with the I, I won't say the name only because I don't want to get shady, but the, with the the ownership at the time? Did you ever come to terms with them? Did they ever apologize? Did they ever admit that they were wrong? I don't think I don't think they would admit that they was wrong. Uh but I but I would say this after the Super Bowl, after I won the Super Bowl, the owner at that time um, I was in Tampa. He wanted me to come by his office. Really? I went. I went by Hugh Carlisle's office, and and he, he he just said, "Hey, I'm I'm sorry, man. We he said we messed up. We didn't get a chance to 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 work that deal out. And I don't know what you know that they drafted Bo Jackson. Uh, I know this. I know exactly what happened with this. Yeah, they brought Bo Jackson on a recruiting tip, trip down to the Bucks. And didn't know they were violating his NCAA tr- contract with baseball. What they were trying to do is screw up his baseball contract so he couldn't go play minor league. Ba- could he, so he couldn't do his last season of baseball, and he just played football. They didn't want him to play. They go, he's going to go play baseball. They wanted to screw that up. I'm speaking, this is Burt Kreischer talking. This isn't Doug Williams right. talking. This is Tampa gossip. They screwed him, and then we lost Bo, Do- Bo Jackson because of that. He said, well, I'm just going to play for the Royals. Now, Brady, no, Bo asked him, why didn't they sign me? For real. Yeah. And, and you know, and he knew why. Because they had called my my agents to, to ask what happened. Really? Yeah. So, Bo looked at it and said, shoot, why would I go there? Do you, do you think, and you don't have to speculate too much, but do you think that the, that the Culverhouses at the time who Hugh Culverhouse owned? I knew Gail Culverhouse, Gay Culverhouse. Gay, yeah. I knew Gay Culverhouse. I was uh, really close with her son. We went to grade school together. I'll say this: Gay Culverhouse is an awesome person. I, I, I don't want to. I just you know, but Hugh Culverhouse, just to put perspective, was was like good friends with uh, Wallace from the governor from Alabama. <laughs> he was like so like we just put, just so that we all know. No, he went to Alabama. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. But let me say this: George Wallace. <laughs> Let me say this. Gay and her brother was a lot different from their dad. A lot of kids are. A lot different than their dad. The wife, a lot different from her husband. Really? Because I'm going to tell you what she did. And I'm going to tell you what both of them did. The son, the son, you know, he he actually sent me like $75,000 one time. The son did. The mom... The mom sent me twenty five thousand dollars, cause they understood what had happened. Yeah, 
But they did that out the kindness of their heart. Oh, thank God to hear yeah. that. No. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, Hughes, they they different. And they, they was a lot different. Well, there, the, the, there were two arguments. And one, one is a, a kind of a soft argument was that he was trying to make money off the team. And so he was trying to pay everyone less. But in your case, I think it, when you, especially when you look at what other yeah. play, white players were getting paid, and, but, and there's quotes of what he quote unquote possibly could have said. But but let me let me say this: he had a guy named Phil Kruger, mm-hmm. who was his who was his general manager per se. Phil told me when my dad my dad was in the hospital in in New Orleans, getting about to get his leg amputated, and he, Kenny Herock was the general manager. Mm-hmm. So Kenny called me, and he said, "Doug, you know, could you come to Tampa?" I said, "Yeah, for what, Kenny?" He said, "Just just to talk to." Um, Phil, I said, yeah, I come New Orleans, Tampa, just took a flight, I'm, I'm there. Yeah. So I went in, talked to Phil, and he said, come on, follow me. I went to talk to Coach McKay. Coach McKay said, Dougie, he said, uh, the old man ain't going to budge. He said, why don't you do this? He said, why don't you sign just a one-year deal? And I just said, Coach, I, I can't do that. I just told Coach McKay, I said, I can't do that. Yeah. And I went and he said, okay. Phil came in. I'm walking down the hall. Phil and Phil turned to me and he say, uh, "Mr. C don't want me making friends with his money." He said, "You know, you you're not gonna go to the Hall of Fame and all." It's Phil Kruger, and I'm just sitting there walking, listening. A guy sitting in his office and he got the writing on the board, and he said, um, "They had offered me 400." He said, "Mr. C, we, we we gonna offer you 375." They 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 start going down. Yeah. So I'm sitting there. I'm looking. He said, this is how we're going to do it. If you finish such and such in the league, we'll pay you, boom. And he got to another. I said, Phil, Phil, Phil. I said, I don't want none of your if money. I said, if I, I said I've been here five years. I said, I've got my behind waxed over five years. I said, I don't want no if money. When Mr. C don't, I, and that was it. I walked out. That's the last I, You know, Kenny Herock, who's German manager, he was hoping that they would meet me halfway. You had already gone halfway. I told him, you know, let's go to five. Well, you started. Your initial was, yeah. I think, like seven. It was six fifty. Six fifty, and then you dropped to five. I, no, I was waiting on them to say, you know, we're not going to do. They they offer four. Yeah. So I'm just waiting to do this, and it never came up. They was going backwards. Yeah. That's that's as as big a mistake for our city as Babe Ruth going to the Yankees. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I think it was because I thought the team was was. Going up, I thought so. Too. I mean, I, I was a child, but yeah, in no, I, really, I really think the team was going up at that time. Mm-hmm. And after that, it's them start going down. Yeah, and you went to the USFL. Yeah, went to USFL. Was it fun in the USFL? It, it was. You know, there was more of a throwing. Well, let me tell you, the Tatum, Bill Tatum, who just passed away a few months ago. Him and his son, Bill Tatum Jr. You know, we was on the phone, and they say, "Look." We want you to come play for us. And, you know, they, they was talking not like it was a stockyard. It was like an individual. Yeah. So I went out to, I was to Tulsa, met him in Tulsa. We went to dinner. The wife, his wife and everything. You know, I realized they was good people. And the mom, they got, when he passed not long ago, the son sent me a picture. He said, look, we still got a picture, a big poster in the house, in the dad's house of me in the house. Really? Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we played that for a year. 
But you you had to be able to throw the ball. Jim Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Kelly was, I remember we was in T- Skelly, Oklahoma, at Skelly Stadium in Tulsa. And we came back, We in three minutes, we scored 15 points to come back to beat the Houston Gamblers. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those type of leagues. USFL was fun to watch. It was. It it's, was. it's a little bit more like the the NFL we see today with the, a lot of more. You're right. That's exactly what it is. But you got more talent. That's the only thing about the, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The how long you were in Tol- you were in Oklahoma for two years? No, Oklahoma. But I, I went in there on, in '83, and I stayed through the '84 season, and then we moved to Arizona. You did? Yeah, with the team. They, the oh team, yeah, yeah, The yeah, team yeah. went to Arizona. Interesting. Yeah. And then um, Woody Wood, Woody Woodenhofer was the coach at Oklahoma, and when we went to Arizona. Frank Cush became the coach. Really? Yeah. Wow, and then how, and then how soon was it your transition over? To one, the- one year, boom, it was done. Eighty five after the eighty five year, eighty four and eighty five, then eighty six, um, it was done. I had one, I had one phone call in, in eighty six. Joe Gibbs. That's insane. He shows up again. One one call, Joe Gibbs. He called me, and he said, Doug. You know, he started laughing. He said, Douglas. He don't, Joe Gibbs, let me say this. There's only three people call me Douglas. <laughs> my mom and my brother when I was in trouble. <laughs> and Joe Gibbs called me Douglas. So he got on the phone. He said, Douglas. I said, hey, coach, how you doing? He said, doing good. Started laughing. He said, look. He said, I'm calling. He said, I want to know, could you come to Washington to be the backup quarterback? And I said, Coach, I can I can be any up you want me to be because I don't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> he said, okay, I'm going to put you on the phone with Bobby Belton. Got on the phone with Bobby Belton, and I was next couple of days, I was flown into, flown into D.C. Gosh. Yeah. And D.C. is globally a different city than Tampa. Like going to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'm really, just being, just being here, just being a part of it, you know, I, I really think this is a place that really kind of, not don't get me wrong, I love Tampa, I love the well, I love teammates, but coming here was like a whole different ball game. Yeah. And then you realize you were a team that, that, you know, you got an offensive line, you got receivers, you got everything that you need, you know. So I said, yeah, I can be a backup. You know, now my mentality, when I got here, I didn't come here with a backup mentality. I came here with an opportunity. Yeah, I've been a start all my life. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to do, but I couldn't I couldn't take a bat and hit Jay Schrade in the knee or nothing like that. I just had to wait my turn. You were just waiting for Lawrence Taylor to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let, let, let it take its course. I had nothing to do with it. That's uh, just to put things in perspective. And once again, I am in, I am in, I got to be in like ninth, eighth grade at the time. Joe Theismann breaks his leg. Yeah. And, and and the and the Redskins were the shit. It was. It was the fun bunch where they'd get in the end zone and do the high five. It was just, it was everything about that team was amazing. And then Joe Theismann breaks his leg in the most horrific fashion. Uh, yeah, I refuse to look at it. I uh, won't look at man. Travis Jordan just broke his leg. I know, weeks. man. I, I was watching that game. When I saw it, I just turned away. I couldn't look at it. I fell for that boy, man. What do you think? I gotta ask you. What do you think of Baker Mayfield right now? I know you were you were a fan of Baker Mayfield's originally, correct? Ba- Baker Mayfield's a guy that been playing this game with a chip on his shoulder, really? and he's still playing it with a chip on his shoulder. You know, it's unfortunate things hadn't gone the way that 
they probably he wanted him to go like he won, you know, in, in the running when he was at Oklahoma. I, I do think Baker could play. Mm-hmm. His mentality is is definitely uh in, in that mindset that he could play. Yeah. You know, it just so happened things hadn't hadn't gone his way, you know. Are the receivers you see that when you when you watch the game now, you're like, ooh, I would have liked him. That guy that we're gonna face Sunday, guy by the name of Tariq Hill. Oh. He can outrun a Yoni go. <laughs> Man, he can run. You know, him and, and they got another kid with him, Waddle. But you know what? I like I like our guys. I, I love I love McCoy. Yeah. Him and 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 Jahan, I, I think they are two of the best young receivers in the league. Really? Yeah. Really. What so when you come to I was fascinated mostly by the competition that I don't know if Joe Gibb instilled it, but the competition for you and Jay Jay Schrader at the time. There was like there was like sincere of like who's gonna be the starter. And I don't I wonder I have a very competitive uh impulse. I, I can't help it. And when I stopped playing sports, I turned it off. I said I, it's not healthy for me. And when I got into comedy, I would watch it rear its head and I'd squash it. And I'd go, don't do that. That's not, this is your path. But I wondered if that competitiveness drove you to play better or if it bothered you. Well, like, like I say, when I, when I was came here as a backup, my mentality wasn't backup. Yeah. And I think what happened in practice every day, you know, I had a bunch of receivers that wasn't starters that we used to, we used to eat the defense up every day. And I think the coaches, you know, was looking at it from the same perspective, say, damn, Doug is eating us up every day. And I think at the end of the day, when when I got in to play, the first game up the first game of the year, 1987, Jay got hurt. And I came in, we played Philadelphia. And we ended up winning the game. I think the key was the offensive line loved playing with me because they knew where I was going to be. Jay was a guy that, you know, if if the rush was close, it always flushed him out. And you go someone, you know, when the offensive line got his back turned, he don't know where the quarterback is. Yeah, because you got a quarterback running to the right or to the left, he can't he can't block that guy. He's gonna get called for holding. Yeah, because the guy gonna come off. And I think I know the center Jeff Bostic and everybody else felt like the best guy for them when they, once they saw I can play. Yeah. So they felt like the best guy for them was Doug Williams. And I'm sure when they was in their meeting, they told Coach Buse and uh, the defensive coach, you know, probably was telling Coach Gibbs this and that. Because after that last game in 1987, you know, I came off the bench in Minnesota and we ended up winning the game with a post-press conference. That's when Coach Gibbs said during the playoff, he said, hey, Doug Williams is going to be the quarterback. So I think it, it hit him then that what he had been hearing all year. You know, yeah, I think that was the key. Was that was there, did, was there extra weight on your shoulders, being possibly the, the first African American quarterback to start in a Super Bowl? Was did was there extra pressure on your shoulders, or was it one of those things between the lines didn't matter? You, you had you, see because they were putting it. That was every question that was asked. <laughs> yeah, you. yeah. But see, I've always I've been an athlete all my life since I was about six, six, seven years old. Yeah, and. I've learned and and realized that pressure was something that you put up on yourself. 
and I wasn't going to let no man put pressure on me. I understood the significance of me playing in the Super Bowl. Now, you know, I looked in the mirror every day and thought about it, but I could not go out and, and think that I'm playing for the whole world or the whole black race. <laughs> you know, you, you couldn't do that because now you're putting pressure on yourself. Yeah. You know, and, and I had to go out and play for me. And what I did was the week of the game and even the week before that, I refused to do interviews because I knew it was all going to be about the black quarterback. Yeah. And I didn't want to answer those questions. And when we got to um, San Diego, the only time I did the media was when I was required to do the media. So at the hotel, you had all these reporters around the hotel, you know, trying to get a quote here, trying to get a statement here, what have you. I, I wouldn't give them that pleasure. I wouldn't go out. I just stayed in the room. I, I st- First of all, I stayed in the room a lot after practice and stuff, you know, playbook, TV, what have you. Yeah. And Jimmy Giles called me. He was out there. I love Jimmy Giles. He called me. He said, hey, man, let's go to dinner. I said, Jimmy, I, I said, man, I don't want to leave this room, man. I don't want to deal with the media. He said, let's go to dinner. I said, Jimmy. He said, no, I'm coming to get you. So Jimmy got rented a car and everything. He came to the room. And when I started coming out and all the media was there, everybody started running. And Jimmy said, he's not talking to nobody. Just doing that. Just walked through, got in the car, boom, went. Came back, the same thing, went to the room. Yeah. That's the only time I got out in San Diego that week. What did you guys have for dinner? <laughs> I'm sure it was a steak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But th- that's what it was. And, and I understood it. When I ran from under that tunnel um, that day with all the balloons and running out there and knowing that I was going to be the first African-American to play, but realized that I couldn't do this for America. I had to do it for me. Mm-hmm. And that first quarter, when things wasn't going right, you know, it was just a matter of we got to get it right. And towards the end of that first quarter, when I slipped and went to the ground Ooh. and hurt my knee. Uh, that is, by the way, it looked like you broke your hip. I know, but I'm laying there, leg out, the trainer come out, Kiyoki, and he was about to put his hand on my knee, and I said, don't touch me. I said, don't touch me. I said, because if the good Lord let me get up, I'm going to finish this game. Yeah. And he didn't touch me, and I got up and shook it off. But it, you know, it was hurting. Went to the sideline and was limping and all that. And um, the airway went in, three and out. They punted. Coach Gibbs came back to me. He said, Douglas, you ready? I said, yeah, Coach, let's go. He said, okay, let's get this sucker to run in. That's what Coach Gibbs said. He said, let's yeah. get this sucker to moving. And the first play, Ricky, Ricky Sanders, 80 yards. Yeah. And the rest of it was history. Yeah. I, at what point did you start relaxing in the game where you're like, i am got this? No, once once I hit Ricky, because, you know, our mentality, our whole team mentality, especially on offense, was Denver cannot hold up against us physically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And once that we hit that, it's 10-7 now. Yeah, we realize now we we in a ball game that this gonna be our game to win it. That's when everything was, and you can close your eyes. Whatever he called, we ran it. Remember this second quarter, we ran eighteen plays and scored thirty five points. It was you guys ran away with it. It was over with. It was over with at halftime. Bue came to me and my knee was beginning to swell and everything. He said, "Hey, he he said, hey, stud.' That's what he called me, stud, thud." No, thud. Oh, stud. Oh, stud. <laughs> yeah. He said, hey, stud. He said, we got this. You, you, you can you can sell on the sideline the rest of the quarter if you want to. And I told him, I said, no, coach. 
I said, I started this one. I'm going to finish this one. Yeah. And, you know, I went back and with the doctors, and we took a couple shots and stuff and went out and finished the game. And after the game, I couldn't even, I couldn't even bend my knee. I was dragging it, actually. Really? And everybody else was out partying that night. I was in my room, you know, oh, really? with my, my leg propped up. And at that time, my daughter, who was five years old at the time, she came to me. She said, guess what, Dad? I'm laying in the bed. She was laying on me. She said, guess what? I said, I went to sleep at the game. <laughs> she put it in perspective for me. <laughs> it was a game. <laughs> well, I didn't even realize you, you had a yeah. five-year-old at the time. Yeah, Still that, a single that, parent. But that was, that was the, um, the daughter that I had with my wife. Ashley? Family. Yeah, that was Ashley. Yeah. yeah she, she said, yep, I went to sleep during the game. She's kind of, She's younger than me. She's 40. She's 40 years old. 40. You still have young kids. She's 44. I got a 16 and a 17. They're playing basketball tonight. <laughs> <laughs> How often do you get recognized? Uh, all the time around here. You know, Around here, definitely, I bet. Yeah, and then everywhere I go, I'm going to run into somebody, whatever airport or what have you. And you know what? Ain't nothing like meeting people, man. You know? Yeah. I love it. And, and most people coming and, and everybody think about, man, I remember watching you. They can tell you exactly where they were they, that day. Exactly. You, you, you left that impact on all of yeah, us. They, they can tell you. I mean, man, I was in the service. I was over in Germany. I was in certain part of the country. I was at my mom's house here. And they say they, they always remember where they were. Are there plays that stand out to you, passes you through that stand out to you that go? Like you have one. I remember... Like, there's one that's burned into my mind. It's the last play of the NFC championship. And to, it's to Gary Clark. With, yeah. You talking about the end zone? Yeah. Yeah, you know what? That wasn't that wasn't the play. He's supposed to have ran a corner route, but they was overplaying him. He, you know, he's supposed to go up in yeah. the corner. They was overplaying him, and he just turned and just hooked up. And to this day, I don't I don't even know how I did that because I'm thinking corner too. <laughs> but I guess, you know, when I looked over and I saw him doing this, boom, I just threw the ball and hit him. He, he said, hit him in the chest. He almost dropped it right then. <laughs> I, I remember that play. That's one pass. The one sitting on my behind is another play. And during that 87 season, we played Detroit. I came in off the bench and I was running up in the pocket and hit Gary Clark and I threw it to the back of his shoulder, hit him in the end zone for, for a TD pass. And another Gary Clark in the Super Bowl was actually a hot. He wasn't supposed to get it. I was supposed to give it to the tailback who was wide open because his man blitz. Yeah. All they do is drop to him. He would have went for about 40, 50 yards. But Gary Clark was one-on-one with um, with Steve, and um, Gary ran a corner route, and nobody back here. I just took, took the hit and just put the ball in the air. Gary ran up on it, TD. When you have a pass that's in between – two defenders, and you see it go perfectly, is it? Makes you feel good. It, yeah. it really does. You know, just like just like I just talked about that pass to Gary, you know, I threw it the only only place it can be thrown. For him to get it, if he don't get it, it go out of bounds. But DB can't get it. Just like the last one to Clint Diddy, when 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 they say it's getting to be Diddy time. Yeah. You know, he ran that seven route, boom, and you and, – TV look like it's coming into your living room. It's right in his hand, you know. It, it things like that that the pass to, to Ricky Sander to get it started was uh, actually supposed to have been just a hitch route, seven yard hitch. But they came up, pressed no help. He missed him down the sideline, just floored up, and he didn't have to break stride. Just boom, keep keep running. 
I mean, it's just so impressive, yeah. especially when you watch it as a fan. Oh, yeah. You just think, how in the name of God? It's, it's like me now. When I watch watch football now, man, when I see those throws, you know, do that kind of stuff. Like, I've, you know, I've seen Peyton Manning put the ball between two defenders that's probably four yards apart. You know, that yeah. kind of stuff. Like, damn, he put them in there, didn't he? <laughs> I, it's it's just so impressive. The, the sport is so beautiful. Yeah. It really is. And, and to... I would say I would argue it was prettier when you played. It was a different. It was a definitely a different game. Oh, it was a different game, no doubt about that. You know, from even not only that, from the running backs, and 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 the passing game. You know, passing game wasn't as prevalent back then as it yeah. is today, because because the rules has made it where passing is prominent today. Yeah, you know, you can't touch a guy at the five yards back then. You could beat him up down the road. <laughs> Twitch them out of bounds and everywhere. And light them up. Yeah. But you could you can't do that today. I think that's what, what has made the game a little different from a passing standpoint. Interesting. And then uh what was I I'm curious, how did you feel about when Dion switched over out of the HBCU coaching and into Colorado? Because from my perspective, and and listen, I, I'm a selfish person. I, I know that he got a little heat because he was putting such a spotlight on HBCU teams and really bringing a, 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 a look that they hadn't gotten. And then when he moved over to Colorado as a person, as a man, I'm a big Dion fan, but as a man, I went, no, I get it. You got to, you, you got to do what's best for you and your family. But I was wondering as a, as a coach, a former coach at an HBCU and a player at an HBCU, if there was a part of you that wished he had stayed not at all. Really? No, Dion, Dion did what he had to do and what he should have done. You know, back in the day when I was coaching at Gramlin, you know, I, I interviewed for the University of Kentucky job and, and even the University of Michigan State. You know, so if, if I had had an opportunity to go, I would have gone. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a Power 5 school. You're talking about moving up. It's kind of like a teacher who go and get, get their master's and end up being a principal. Mm-hmm. So what, what's the difference? Yeah, you know HBCU. Yeah, you. I loved every bit of Dion doing what he did at Jackson State. He did a lot for Jackson State. He brought a lot of notoriety to HBCU. But I think when you get a chance to do what he did, you got to take advantage of it. And hopefully that um, a lot of schools can see what Dion is doing did at the HBCU and let them know we got coaches at HBCUs who can coach, like like Simmons down at Florida A and M who ten and one right now. You know he should be somewhere. Give give somebody else an opportunity. I think I think we can. That's a great way to look at yeah, it. Yeah, we can't look down on Dion for what 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 he did and 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 making that move. But at the same time, we got to be thankful for what he did at Jackson State. What if that was no Dion? Then then what we do? Yeah, yeah. If, if he hadn't came to Jackson State, what you gonna do? Who you gonna get mad at? Nobody. You you know they need to. Hey, Dion, thank you, man. Appreciate you. We pulling for you. That's what it should have been. Did you sleep well before games? No. <laughs> no, no, no. I ate a I ate a bag of Hershey Kisses every night. <laughs> really? Yeah, Hershey Kisses. You know, you know, the Super Bowl, I had a I had a four-hour root canal Saturday before the Super Bowl. Did you know that? No. Yeah, I didn't practice Saturday. I didn't practice at all Saturday. I went, I was in, I woke up Saturday morning, man, tooth was hurting. I called the uh, team dentist. He had a friend out in La Jolla, and, and we went there, and they took x-ray, and they said, hey, all I can say, 
We got to do a re- emergency root canal. And I did the root canal. And I, when I got back to the hotel, the team was leaving to go to another hotel. And um, as soon as I got there, I had to get my bag and go with them. Went to the hotel. You know, I was on Percocet. <laughs> <laughs> kind of eased the pain a little yeah. bit. But that night, even that night, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, looking over the plays and stuff. And, you know, I had I had to find out how I was going to eat these Hershey Kisses. <laughs> You know, so I had to root canal on my left side. I, I ate him. I, I ate him. I put him on my right side. I had to eat him. I did that every game. Had a, had a bag of Hershey Kisses. Really? Was that like one of your rituals? Yeah, that's that's what it was. Yeah. And, 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 and you know what? I didn't look at it as a ritual. I just looked at it like something I had to have. Yeah. Yeah, that was part of the routine. Did you have a routine day game day? Like, No, I just go to, go to my locker, man, sit there for a minute, you know, pull your clothes off. And go get tape and come back and set a while. I'd like to be there early. You know, take your, take your time, put your shoes on, put your socks on, put your pants on. You put your pads and jersey on later. Just sit there and BS a little bit and, and get ready for game time. Who's the funniest guy in the locker room when you play Dexter for the Manley was the guy Dexter you, Manley? That you want to just watch, man. Dexter almost marched a hole in the flow just going back and forth. You just see him. He had his earphones on. He's sweating on you know, like he was mad with the world, you know, just and you just sit there and you just doing like this. <laughs> now it was it was fun watching Dexter Manley. Yeah, really Dexter was. Manley was there were the, there were there were so many personalities, like Lester Hayes. The, there were so many big personalities when I was a kid. Back back in that time you had a lot of personalities on all every team. Yeah. You had somebody that was a character per se. Mm-hmm. And you had to have those guys to to be who you are, you know. I remember Coach Gibbs um, told me about Dexter. He said, as long as Dexter's hurting Dexter, you know, we're going to deal with Dexter. But if Dexter starts hurting the team, we can't deal with Dexter. Dexter. And that made sense. Yeah. Yeah. And Dexter had some extracurriculars. Yeah, but but Dexter, you know, was, I'm talking about all other stuff. You know, we knew what what he did off the field stuff, which was bad, but, you know, today— that's that's one of my closest guy. I call him all the time just to see how he's he turned his life around. I saw, I talk to him all the time. That's really? my man. Yeah. Do you have a group text with you with any no, of those guys? Nobody. Yeah, we got a big. Last night we got a big group with Gary Clark, Raven Caldwell, Rollo McKenzie, Doc Walker, Kenny Jenkins. Everybody. We got about twenty guys on that thing. Really? Yeah. Last night we was. Uh, I think it's it's love your brother, but or something. Everybody would start texting each other. Yeah, that's the podcast I want to hear. Yeah, yeah. Is I, you ever think about doing something like that? You know what? I have not. I have not. You know, just I just like doing what I do, man. I I go to the office every day. I like being around the guys. I talk to the players and talk to the coaches and stuff like that. That's that's me. Do you throw the football much? I don't throw it at all. Really? No, no, my no, I don't. Because you know, I said I did that for a living. They don't pay me now to throw the football. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's crazy yeah, no i don't doug I, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me no it's my pleasure man i've had a ball today i can't tell you how uh instrumental i mean to this day there's only one jersey i buy and there's only one jersey and you know your jer- your bucks jersey is really hard to get i you know what when they had the um the uh old throwback jersey yeah they sent me one Really? Yeah, they sent me one. I got one now. They sent it. It's at my desk and and uh, at work. I went. I they I did that throwback uh, 
presentation for them. And uh, they sent me a jersey. And when I got it, I cried. Because, I, you know, that's like right. that uniform as... As ugly as everyone may may look back and say, "Oh, that was not that." For me, is I'm the most beautiful you. uniform that's ever been. I saw I saw some highlights from that game, and I tell you, man, it brought back a lot of memories. I that, bet. That, oh man, that 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 white and and, and cream stickers, you can't beat that, dude. There's so much about. Like I remember, you go to gas stations, you get you guys have all have posters at gas stations. <laughs> yeah, we used to go on that on that bus. Me and Leroy used to travel around at gas stations. And signed autographs. I remember like it was yesterday. Oh, I remember. Yeah. I remember that so vividly going gas station to gas station, getting all the posters, getting the pennant. The only person I ever got an autograph from was Garo Yapremian. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's the only burn steakhouse. I, burn I, steakhouse. I, I, my dad was like, buddy, Garo Yapremian's here. And I was like, what? And so we went up and he was like, hey, Lord, it's good to meet you. Here comes the vacuum. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> oh, yeah. But I tell you what, old Sombrero, it was the best feel in the whole league to get sacked on. Really? Yeah. That grass was like carpet. Really? I too. mean, it was not that I wanted to be sacked. Yeah. But if you're going to get sacked, get sacked on that field. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time. You are, you continue to be a hero of mine. And, uh, and I'm so fucking lucky that whatever happened in my life, that it worked out that I got to meet you. Thank you. My pleasure. I appreciate it, man. Right. Thank you. All right. That was great. <laughs> This episode was brought to you by The Machine.